If you will, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. It's where we'll be for our Bible study this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want you to ponder a question. And often when I uh, preach, I will, I will say this. Uh, I will direct your attention to this. Um, and I want you to know that I'm not talking to your neighbor today. I'm not talking to the person sitting next to you. I'm not talking to the person that's not here that you say, man, I wish they were here to hear this. I'm not talking to the person that uh, you say, man, this is good stuff right here. I wish, I wish so-and-so would hear this. I'm talking to you this morning. Uh, God, is, God has, has a message for you this morning, and I want you to, to ponder the thought. Where are you spiritually this morning? We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be in, in the passage after the fall of where God asked Adam, where are you? Adam, where art thou? And God has a question for you this morning, you individually, you as a person. He doesn't have a question for the person next to you. He has a question for you. Where are you spiritually? And as we go through the course of this sermon this morning, I want you to ponder that. I want you to think about that. I want you to meditate on that. Where am I spiritually this morning? And I want your neighbor to help you. So I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to say, where are you? All right, so y'all, we're, we're going to help hold each other accountable this morning. We're not, that's, not the, that's not the last time we're going to do that. But I don't want you to forget that we are pondering the question, where are you this morning? How many of you ever played hide and seek? We all played hide and seek, right? When we have Disciple Now, we, we've got it coming up. D Now is coming up in April for our youth group. And when we have D Now, something that we have started doing, and, and I don't think we'll be able to do it this year uh, because of the growth that God has brought to our youth group, but something that we have uh, made it, most of the time with D-Now, you have host homes. If some of you remember when you were in uh, youth and you had D-Now, you would go to somebody's house, the girls would go to this house, the boys would go to this house, and, and you have host homes, and, and uh, I do want y'all, our folks, to be praying about that. We need some host homes this year, um, but, but what we have done uh, over the la- course of the last four or five years since I've been here, we stay at the church. We have a big lock-in the whole weekend. And their favorite thing to do, the youth's favorite thing to do, um, and the older people too, some of our college leaders, I think it's their favorite thing to do too, is when we get back from the night session on Friday night, they're like, let's play hide and seek. So we play flashlight hide and seek throughout the church in the dark. So hide and seek is a fun game, right? Kids love to play hide and seek. I like to play hide and seek. Is there something about hiding and either jumping out and scaring someone or hiding and, and not being able to be found? Uh, I believe a few years ago it was Brandon and I that, that hid and we had a rule that you couldn't. Was it, was it me and you, Brandon? We, we had a rule that you couldn't hide. Um, if, if the door was closed, you couldn't go into it. So, you know, if, if we would make sure that... All the, the areas are off limits, and that was, our, that was our rule. If we close the door, you cannot go into that door and close that door to hide. You had to go somewhere where it was open. We had, we had um, parameters. We had barriers. We, we, so, but Brandon and I decided we would hide, and we found some storage closet to hide in. And we actually went in the closet. We broke the rules. We went in the closet. We closed the door. And so they were looking for us forever. And they kept looking, and they kept looking, and they kept looking. And I held the door 
knob. And they came and they tried it. And they thought it was locked. And so we finally come out and they're, they're still mad at us to this day that we broke the rules. We went in the door. But, but there's something about hiding and not being able to be found. Um, and so that's, that's the title of my message this morning is Hide and Seek. There's something about playing hide and seek. But here in Genesis chapter 3 in the verses we're about to read, we see a game of hide and seek that is a dangerous game of hide and seek. The very first game of hide and seek. Let's look, let's pick up in verse 8. Genesis chapter 3 in verse 8. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9 says, So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? First thing I notice is that we know that Adam and Eve are here. We know it's Adam and Eve in the garden. We know that Adam and Eve had um, partaken of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which God said not to. You'll see in another verse that God says, have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? It was Eve who was tempted. It was Eve that was tempted. It was Adam who allowed it to happen because he wasn't even deceived. He knew what was wrong. We always blame, we always blame Eve, but Eve was deceived by the devil. Adam wasn't deceived. He just stood there and let it happen. So, but we know that Eve took the fruit, she ate it, she handed it to her husband, they ate, and it says that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they hid. The Bible says they hid. But God says to the man, The version I read to you says, God said to him. Some of you are going to say, God said to Adam. Adam, where are you? See, that's what I'm talking about this morning. Ask your neighbor one more time, where are you? See, Adam, God didn't say, hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? God's not talking to the Eve in your life. This morning. God is not talking to your wife. God is not talking to your husband. God is not talking to your children. God is talking to you. He said, Adam, where are you? And he wants you to ponder that this morning. Where are you spiritually? Where are you in your spiritual walk? So let's look at this question. It's a profound question that he asked. He says, where are you? There's two characteristics of this question that I want to draw out this morning. First, we see that it's a question of consciousness. And that's what I'm doing to you this morning when I tell you to look at your neighbor and say, where are you? I want you to be conscious of where you are. God asked Adam this question because he wanted him to be conscious of where he was. He wanted him to think about where he is spiritually. You see, God didn't ask Adam, where are you? Because he didn't know. Did he? God knows everything. God's omniscient. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere and he knows everything. God didn't ask Adam, where are you? Because he needed to know. God asked Adam, where are you? To draw out in Adam's thoughts. 
He wanted Adam to ponder, where are you? Same thing he wants us to do this morning. Where are you? It's a question of consciousness. He wants Adam to realize that he has separated himself from the loving God who created him because of his own choice and his own choice to hide and his own choice to separate himself. And he wants him to realize that. He wants him to be conscious of that. That's why he asked this question. It's a question of consciousness. Maybe you're here this morning and you're pondering that. Where are you? Where am I spiritually? Maybe you're hiding. Maybe you're running and you're hiding from God. But God wants you to realize, God wants you to awaken and be conscious of the state that you're in, the spiritual state that you're in. And I would even venture to say that even if, I don't think that we're, as Christians, always where we want to be. So even if you say, man, I think I'm doing all right. I think I'm doing okay with this. God still wants you this morning to evaluate the state that you're in. I think we should do that every time we come into church. Evaluate where we are spiritually. I think we should do that every time we wake up in the morning. Evaluate where we are with God. Where we are in our relationship with Him. That's what He's asking. Where are you in your relationship with Him? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says... Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Pay close attention to your life and your teachings. In Psalm 51, the the last um, sermon that I preached last year, I preached on Psalm 51 about revival, about personal revival, repentance. And and in the, the psalm of repentance that David gives in Psalm 51, he says, I am conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. The Bible is very clear that we are to be aware of where we are spiritually. The Bible is very clear that we need to be conscious each and every day of where we are. The next thing that I want to draw from this is that it's a question of conviction. It's not only a question of consciousness, it's a question of conviction. He's trying to convict Adam. He wants Adam to be drawn to conviction for what he has done. And we see here in just a minute in the answer that Adam gives that Adam is somewhat convicted. The reason I say somewhat is because I'm not convinced that he was convicted of the right thing. Nevertheless, he was convicted. We'll talk about that in a minute. However, make no mistake about it, Adam was convicted. And in order to have a true relationship and have true repentance in your life, there must be conviction. You must be convicted. We must first be. That's, that's, the, that's the gospel. The Holy Spirit convicts us that we need a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
we're convicted of that, we repent, we turn from our sin, we accept Him. Conviction is a very important part of the process. We need to learn that we have clearly ate of the fruit that He told us not to eat of. And we need to be convicted of that. So He wants Adam to be conscious of what He's done and He wants Adam to be convicted of what He's done. In Psalm 32, David, again, is a repentive psalm. David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He was convicted. When he kept silent about his sin, his, his bones ached. His bones wasted away, the Bible says. Isaiah 6, 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. He says, I know who I am. I'm convicted. I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah is convicted. What about Luke 5, 8? When Simon Peter saw, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. Simon Peter saw him. He fell at Jesus' knees. He said, go away from me for I'm a sinful man because he was convicted of his sin. And here's an important part about that verse. And here's something I want you to hear this morning. Simon Peter was convicted of his sin in the presence of Jesus. Folks, we need to be convicted of our sin in the presence of Jesus. And you're in his presence this morning. You need to be convicted of your sin. You need to be convicted of whatever it is that you're struggling with in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're in the presence this morning. Where are you? Where are you? Let me just share a little gospel with you real quick. Lest you forget, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says that we need to be convicted. The Bible says that we all sin, we all fall short of the glory, and we need to be convicted. And in 1 John 1, 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're in the presence of God today. No better place to be convicted of your sin to find out where you are spiritually and to confess the Lord Jesus Christ with your mouth and you'll have folks rejoice with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today's the day. Today is the day. Where are you? <clears throat> so we see that the where are you question is a question of consciousness. He wants you to be conscious and he wants you to be convicted. But we also see, but what I also want to draw out is I want to ask you a question now. I've already asked you, where are you? And you've been pondering that. I pray that you've been pondering that. Where are you? But now the next question I want to ask you is, why are you? Why are you hiding? You see, we see in verse 10, I didn't get there yet, so let's pick up in verse 10. We stopped at the question in verse 9 of where are you, but we see in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 10, Adam came out and he said, I heard you in the garden. 
And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So here's the thing. Here's why I said a while ago that I think that Adam is somewhat convicted because I don't think he's convicted of the right thing. Adam didn't come out and say, sorry God, we, uh, you know that tree you told me not to eat of? Uh, well, we, we messed that one up. Uh, the serpent deceived my wife, she ate, and I didn't do nothing about it. It looked like it tasted pretty good, so I went for it too. And uh, we did exactly what you told us not to do. And we hid because we were afraid that we were going to be punished by you or, or we were afraid. He, he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say we, we, we sinned. We did exactly what you told us not to do. And that's why we hid. And what does he say? He said we hid because we were naked. One of the commentaries that I was studying said about this verse that his consciousness of the effects of sin was keener than his sense of the sin itself. Sometimes, folks, we get so caught up in the effects of sin that we don't realize how we got there. We're just too busy trying to run away from God. We're just too busy trying to dive in the bushes and hide from God when his presence comes along. We're just too busy trying to get away from God because of, and, 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 we, and we tangle, we, we weave this tangled web of lies and all these things, and we, and we just get too busy trying to cover it up. And then we come out and we say, Sorry, God, I hid because I'm struggling. I hid because this is going on. I hid because. Let's just be real this morning. I hid because I had sex outside of marriage and I got a baby and I, and I don't, um, and we don't have any money to pay for the baby because I'm only 18 years old. It, it, all these things. I hid because of the effects of sin. He said, I hid because I was naked. I hid because I didn't have any clothes on. And there's some of you who have listened to... Uh, Tyler and I's podcast, and one of the next verses, an, another great question that God has a whole nother sermon, but he says, who told you that? That just shows us who our God is. See, God says, who told you that? Because the knowledge of good and evil comes from God, and you're, you're not supposed to know that you're naked unless you ate of something I told you not to eat of. But that shows that, that Adam's hiding and Adam's struggle, and, and it, was, it was mute. He, he didn't have to run and hide. God wasn't going to just strike him with lightning. How many times do we say that? How many, how, many, how many times have you heard people say, oh, y'all better get out of the way. Let me put my lightning rod up. We're going to, right? Somebody says a lie. Let me put my lightning rod up. God's going to strike you. It's not how our God works. That's funny, but it's not how God works. God wasn't going to strike them with lightning. They are going to have to suffer consequences of their sin, but God loves them. God wanted to know where they were spiritually, and he wanted them to come out and, and be convicted of that and, and confess their sins because he loved them, and he had created them to be loved. 
My question for you this morning is, why are you hiding? What have you done? And I guarantee, whatever answer you can come up with, it's not greater than the fact that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again to save you from your sins. There's nothing that you can do that can stop him from loving you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Bible tells us that. But why are you hiding? What have you done? What are you hiding from? The Bible says in verse 8, that we read in Genesis chapter 3. They hid from the Lord God. Some of your translations may say they hid from the presence. They, they saw the presence. They hid themselves from the presence of God. Church, let me just tell you. If you're hiding yourself from the presence of God this morning, that's a dangerous place to be. If you're hiding from the presence of God, you're hiding from the protection of God. If you're hiding from the presence of God, you're hiding from the blessings of God. Don't hide from the presence of God because of something you've done. Because you, there's nothing that you can do that can separate you from God, that can make Him love you any less. He created you. He loves you. He wants you to have a right relationship with him. And whatever you've done, well, there's whatever reason you're hiding from him, just come out. Because that's the, that's the worst place to be is hiding from the presence of God. Adam fled from the presence of God because of what he thought, Adam, what, what he thought God was going to do. But God just wants to love you. So my conclusion is this. Wherever you are, whatever you're there, and whatever you're hiding from, as we say in the, the old fun game of hide and seek, come out, come out wherever you are. That's it. Wherever you are, whatever you're hiding, whatever you're hiding from, Come out, come out, wherever you are. In a minute, we're going to extend an invitation. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I believe that song of invitation is called Come to the Altar. Wherever you are, wherever you're hiding, just come out and come to the altar of God. We'll have people to pray with you. We'll have people to love on you. If you don't want that, we have an altar of God where you can just do business with God. But that's what this invitation time is for, for you to do business with God. Let me read you a story to close it out. In 1492, two Irish families, the Butlers of Ormond and the Fitzgeralds of Kildare, were involved in a bitter feud over which family should hold the position of Lord <clears throat> Deputy. The tension manifested itself with violent fighting between the two families just outside the city walls. 
Realizing the violence was getting out of control, the butlers took refuge in the chapter house of St. Patrick's Cathedral. The Fitzgeralds followed them in the cathedral and realizing the feuding was ridiculous, asked them to come out and make peace. Afraid that it was a trick and that they would be slaughtered, the butlers refused. And as a gesture of good faith, the head of the Kildare family, Gerald Fitzgerald, ordered that a hole be cut in the door. He then thrust his arm through the door and offered his hand in peace on the other side. Upon seeing that Fitzgerald was willing to risk his arm by putting it through the door, the butlers reasoned that he was serious about peace. They shook hands through the hole, and the butlers emerged from the chapter house, and the two families made peace. How many of you have ever heard the, the term chancing the arm or chancing your arm? That's where that comes from. He chanced his arm. He risked his arm. And that, that's the term that's called chancing the arm, and that's where it comes from. He cut a hole in the door in the middle of a family feud at the risk of his arm probably being cut off. <laughs> I mean, like, if, if the family, I mean, he could have stuck his arm in there and he just, just chopped it right off, right? But he chanced his arm. And today that door is still in St. Patrick's Cathedral. You can go see it today, and it's known as the Door of Reconciliation. Let me tell you, folks, over 2,000 years ago, God cut a hole in the door. And he chanced his arm. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross. To die a sinner's death. After he lived a perfect life. For no reason. Knowing that you may not accept it. Knowing that you may turn your back on him even after you have accepted it. Knowing that we would run and hide from him at times. He still chanced his arm. He cut a hole in the door of reconciliation. And he reached his arm in and he said, come. Come out, come out, wherever you are.